This morning we're going to be looking at Exodus 16 together, and uh, Barr alluded to this, but if you witness, as I did, the events that happened in our nation's capital this past Wednesday, um, it's been said many times, the scale of which has not happened since the British did it in the 1800s, so something surely that we have not seen or experienced in modern history. Um, what you don't need this morning is another voice ranting about politics in the state of our country. Um, you've probably heard enough of that in a day of social media and the many who have spoken. Um, we've come this morning to have our hearts placed before the Lord, asking for his truth, his truth to settle, his truth to convict as it needs to, and his truth ultimately to lead us in the way that is everlasting. We're so desperate for that this morning. To better learn to be a light that points to the way to an eternal kingdom. An eternal kingdom that cannot be breached. It, its walls cannot be scaled. And it will never fall. I want to assure you this morning that my focus is to speak to our flock. I can't handle the, the, the gravity of our nation and what's going on in other places. Uh, my calling specifically is to this town and our flock and our community. So this morning I want to focus our attention on our flock, our little church, and our small corner of the world. And, and I want to go where everyone else should go this morning as we gather together. It's to speak the truths from God's word. In the text that's been set aside for us this morning in Exodus. And as I studied the text, it reminds me of, of, the, of the, the truth that God's word is living and active. It, it, it is applicable for times like these as, as well as times, all other times. So as we jumped into the study of Exodus last week, we rejoined the people of God, the Israelites, who find themselves on a journey, and they're between leaving Egypt and, and arriving in a land that's been promised to them, the land of Canaan. And in between the known, which was Egypt for some 400 years, and the long-promised Canaan, which has been spoken of but never experienced, lie the trials and the struggles of the wilderness. If you didn't know better, um, specifically you know, in our text last week, you might think uh, God to be a bit sadistic to lure his people out in the middle of a desert, in the middle of nowhere, and watch them suffer in the wilderness. But as we were reminded last week, and we'll be reminded time and time again over the study, from Moses' own handwritten, or handwritten account of the Exodus, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that it was the holy purpose of God to bring his people out from under the dependency of Egypt that they had grown to love, to dependency upon him alone. So there's great purpose in him bringing them where they're going and where they've been. But all while avoiding the ever-present temptation towards self-dependency. Our passage is a bit lengthy this morning, but if you're able to stand with me in honor of God's word, I would encourage you to do so as I read it for us. Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam... And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, 
which is between Elam and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumblings, that you grumble against him, what are we, your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke, the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each one of you, as much as you can eat. You shall eat, you shall take an offer according, according to the number of the persons that each, each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it out, an omer, Whoever gathered much had nothing left, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as they could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over until morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and, bred it, and, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. And when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came to told Moses, he said to them, this is, the, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is the day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to keep till the morning, so that it lay aside until the morning, as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is Sabbath to, to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, 
but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and it tasted and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Cana. An omer is a tenth of what an ephah. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together as you take your seats. Father, a lot this morning in your word I pray that you would unpack it for us, and even um, when words fall short, that your spirit would go and unpack it for us, not just this morning, but even this week. Father, we thank you this morning that we can draw near to you because you first drew near to us. So, Father, come and speak to your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe, perhaps like you, you began, as the new year started, reading through the Bible again. has been kind of my custom. I don't always finish it, just in truth there. Um, but the last few days, as you've kind of started, or I've kind of started reading through Genesis, and you get through the creation account, and there in the garden, with, in the midst of our first parents, we were reminded that it was Satan that sowed this, this great lie that continues to pull at the hearts of all of God's children thereafter. And, it's, and, and the lie is this, that dependency on anyone but yourself is weakness. Depending on anything or anyone other than yourself is weakness. And throughout the whole of the text of Scripture, God is pursuing his people to teach his children this truth, that dependency on God is our greatest strength. Christ's work in the gospel story not only rescues you from past and present and future sin, he frees us from the slavery to this lie and enables us to believe the truth that dependency on God is not a weakness, it's a strength. In a season that has so many of us fearful of losing freedom, let me remind us that any freedom that does not lead you the greater dependency on God will ultimately make you a slave. Any freedom that doesn't lead you to greater dependency on Christ and his mercy will ultimately lead you to slavery. If you remember from last week, God's people journeyed three days into the wilderness and they ran short of water. And they came to this next watering source to resupply, only to find it undrinkable. So the people... Uh, had fear and had frustration. They began to panic and complain to Moses. And here God miraculously provides water, making what was once bitter now 
sweet and satisfying. Well, then they go to Elam, which we hear is a, a virtual paradise with streams and palm trees and great provision. But we're reminded here that Elam is not the destination. As good as it probably was, it was not their ultimate destination. So in today's text, we see that God has moved the people on from Elam. By Moses' calculation here, we see that they're about a month into their journey out of Egypt and into the wilderness. And again, in verse 2, we see grumblings that, that maybe again, maybe start small, but they begin to grow to a level that we hear in verse 2 that the whole congregation of the people of Israel are affected, and they're all grumbling. And not, and not just to Moses this time. We see that they're going to Aaron as well. And unlike last time, it isn't water that's in need here. It's, it's food that they're in desperate need of. We, we've talked last week about the unforgiving nature of the land that they're in, a desert, as well as the demands that a group this size would demand on uh, with the number of people that they had and the livestock, uh, all the needs that all of these folks would have required. So here we are again. We're in the middle of nowhere, and they're running out of something that they're in desperate need to live on. And even though the pillar of God's presence, this fiery, smoky cloud that has been going before them, continues to lead them to this place, they begin to turn to Moses and now Aaron to complain. I want you to listen to what they say in verse 3. Uh, would it be that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate our full of bread? But you've brought us to the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This points to us that it's often in our suffering and in the midst of challenge when the lies that we tend to believe start to scream even louder. It's, it's always in the midst of challenge and struggle um, that our lies begin to speak to us the loudest. Lies that, if we begin to entertain, can, can play tricks on our memory, can make our memory short. And if gone unchecked, it could even go to the point of making us irrational. Look what happens to the people here. Their, their present circumstances, hunger, are making Egypt seem somewhat like a paradise. But, but you and I have studied that. We know that that's not what the case was. They go so far as to infer that they would have preferred to suffer and die with full bellies under God's wrath along with Egypt than to starve here. That, that's a dramatic statement. A rational person might have said, is there a scenario here where we don't die? If it's between dying in Egypt under the wrathful hand of God or starving to death in the wilderness, a rational person might say, is there a place that we can live? Is there a way that we can live? Can you provide in such a way to get us through this? A rational person might have said to God, who miraculously changed the very heart of Pharaoh, who parted the Red Sea at his will and his word, who made bittersweet uh, bitter water, sweet to drink. They might have asked, can you provide again? Can you provide for us right now? In the verses that follow, we see God shows us not only that he will provide, but how. In three ways. By always going before his people. By teaching us to know our limitations. And by helping us to remember his faithfulness. 
by teaching us that he always goes before us, teaching us our limitations, and helping us to remember his faithfulness. Look at verse 4. God answers them once again by doing something special, something outside of nature's law that doesn't just meet their immediate needs for that day, but he he tackles an issue that they're going to struggle with continually in the wilderness for the duration of their time there. He sets up a new rule for them, provision from heaven to earth. Does that sound familiar to you? It should. A generation would grow up being reminded of the presence of God that went before him. Not only this huge column of smoke and fire for 40 years, but each morning their daily bread would come provided for them on the ground. Each evening meat would be provided for them from God himself. Look what Moses and Aaron do. The end of verse 8. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, say to the whole congregation, the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. So even though their first act in the midst of complaining is to, is to come to Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron instead direct the people to the right place. In verse 10, as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness. And behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. I love this image. This is an image to mark in your mind. That as complaints come, the people turn to Moses and Aaron, and Moses and Aaron say, look to the Lord. And they turn, which direction? They, they turn in the direction that God is leading. They turn in the direction of the hard stuff. They turn in the direction of the wilderness, that God is going to draw them deeper in. And where does God appear between us and the hard thing? God shows himself between them and the wilderness. He reminds his people here that he goes before them. He leads them through the hard things. It's a very powerful image that as hard as things get, God will always be out in front of us. As things get hard for us and difficult, our encouragement will be, instead of turning from the side, instead of detouring or running to what is easy or a tangible release or a safe haven, it will be to continually face the direction where God is leading or taking you. And, and if you don't know where that is, if you're at this place where I don't know what God is taking us, then our, then our opportunity there is to seek the Lord where he may be found, to look for his voice and not other things, to ask the Lord for his wisdom and his guidance. This dependency on God isn't a weakness. It's what makes the people strong. It's what makes them favored amongst all the people of the land. In verses 13 through 30, Moses unpacks how God will provide. And like any good and loving parent, we see that God often leads us by setting good and healthy boundaries for us. Verse 4 tells us that this was a test to see whether or not they would walk in my law or not. Now, remember, we said this last week, that God bringing the people out in the wilderness was to grow a people for himself, to teach them who he was and what he expected of them. And, and a people who will continue to walk in obedience by faith when everything around them screams for them to do something else. He's not just after right action. He's after their hearts here. 
I'm sure many of us parents, as we look to instruct our, our kids or even ourselves, have, have noticed that wisdom has become a hard thing to chase. That, that things, wisdom as it's laid out in the Bible, is more and more at odds with what the world would call wisdom. Whether it's boundaries God sets for us around rest or relationships or identity, you name it. In a world that's moving further and further away from biblical truth as it redefines what, what wisdom is and what truth is. And, and just so you don't hear me, perhaps you're new with us and you're hearing me say truth and you're thinking about traditions that you grew up with. Let me just speak really quick. I don't want to get us off track here, but the difference between God's truths and, and tradition is slightly different. The difference, um, God's truths never change. They're set by God, and they're therefore unquestionably accurate and timeless. But, but traditions, as many of us have come to experience, that aren't explicitly laid out in Scripture are the result of man's applications of truth. So therefore, they're subject to bias. They're subject to misinterpretation or misapplication at times. There's a difference. So while traditions can be good, it depends on what the truths that they represent and how they're set and applied properly. All right, the reason God gives us boundaries are because he knows our limitations far better than you and I do. God desires to teach us our limitations, but first we have to be honest with the fact that we don't generally like being given boundaries. No matter what they are, we, we have a tendency to not like boundaries. As I'm reading through the Bible again and starting in Genesis 1, we're three chapters in, we're in the garden, and, and, and God has given man everything in it, including himself, walking with him in the garden. And, and we are three chapters in, and we're storming the throne trying to take over. Three chapters after that, chapter 6 of Genesis, it's so bad that God regrets making man. As man makes himself a, an end in and of itself and, and leaves God and pursues his own ways and his own wisdom. And so he brings a flood, leaving only Noah to start over. And then just two chapters after the flood in, in chapter 11, we see this whole earth unified in one place. It's this beautiful picture, really, of heaven. The only problem is, instead of worshiping God and centering themselves on God, they've centered themselves on man and man's accomplishment. And they've decided to erect a, a tower to reach the heavens so that they can reign in heaven. It's, it's Genesis 3 all over again, storming the throne to take over. We don't have time to keep giving and sharing examples, but if we were to keep going as we read through the Bible, we see that by this point, even in our earliest history, we as a people have proven that given the opportunity, we will exchange under God for over God every time. Given one sliver, a moment, a chance, we will exchange being under God for trying to be over him at any point. So in Exodus, God brings his people to a desert with no food, only the promise to provide for them supernaturally from heaven every day, having to go to bed and wonder 
Is, is tomorrow going to be the end? Is God going to provide for all of us? Boundaries are given to only gather their daily bread, rules set in place. But that doesn't set the people, uh, that doesn't stop them from continuing to look at self-sufficiency and security. So we see in here, even though he set the boundaries, they continue to try to gather more. They continue to try to, to hold up more for themselves, and we see that God doesn't allow for that, that, that it begins to stink and worms get to it immediately. Now you have to, you can't really blame them. This is an agricultural society, and so they had lived in for so long around the laws of waste not, want not. Gather up all you can. Make it last as long as possible. So to see this provision on the ground and not want to take and store it up and make it last as long as possible, it was a new thing for them to, to, to cut self-reliance and self-dependence and begin to trust that every day they would get new bread. This was a new thing for them. And then we get to the sixth day when they're instructed to gather a double portion. And again... Even though God had provided for them plenty for the day, on the Sabbath, we still, people, we still see people go out and try to gather. They look for manna that's not there because God has taken it away for that day so that they could rest, but yet they still go out looking for it. Now, that's an interesting way to live for 40 years. Every day, trusting and hoping that God will, but, but it had an effect on them to teach them. See, our natural tendency is to be independent and self-sufficient, our family trait that goes all the way back to our first father, Adam. Um, and, and let's not forget that the whole reason that God sets the, the sixth day as something different, it isn't to be mean. God doesn't say, hey, five days go and gather and provide, but on the sixth day, on the seventh day, I'm not going to provide anything for you. He, he didn't do that to be mean. He didn't do it because he's insecure. He didn't do it because he's sadistic. He did it because he knows, and he has your best interest in mind. He knows your limitations and your needs. And the God who decided your mortal, resided over the design of your mortal frame, says, stop. One day a week, rest. We don't have time to get into the need and purpose of the Sabbath today. This is a a, a large text, and so normally I would go, you know, more into that, but I do want to touch on the idea that how often that we blow through stop signs for the sake of progress, how often we take something like the Sabbath and we make it just like a bonus day of the week that we can get extra work done, how we save it for other things in order for, in, instead of looking to see how we can be renewed and refreshed and replenished as God designed. How we think we know our bodies better than he does. We often pursue a worldly version of relaxation instead of what God would call biblical rest. And so we have to dive into that and say, what's the difference? Relaxation provides momentary freedom from our stressors, but can't ultimately give us what God intended to fill us with through his biblical rest. And let me just say, if it's, if it's important enough for 40 years for God to change the bread forecast for his people, it's probably worth us considering. Verse 28, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse 
to keep my commandments and my laws. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, in the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. How often do we think that we know better? I know I certainly do at times. Essentially going out and looking for more of what God has already given me enough of, whether it's money or uh, relaxation. He's given me enough to have if I simply uh, trust him in that and and make, uh, make plans to that end. But meanwhile, at the same time, while I'm looking for more manna, I'm rejecting the other gift that God decides. It's not that God gave them nothing on the seventh day. You see that? He gives them manna, but then on the seventh day, he gives them the gift of rest. He gives them the gift to set aside and trust him and and be satisfied in him. He wants to give them more. Our flesh seems to always be looking to stretch and test our limits. And God says, why gather, uh, why, why not trust me in this? We've grown up in a world that preaches to us Um, and lies to us about our limits and tells us that any limitation, any dependency is a weakness to rid ourselves of. But God tells us this truth of the dependency upon him, remaining close to him, is a strength for us. God always goes before us. He knows our limitation. And finally, he reminds us of his faithfulness. In verse 31, God pins or Moses pins the name manna, as it was called, to des- and, and then he goes on to describe its appearance and its taste. Now, this may not seem that special to you, but for generations, like, as we look at this, we're trying to think, okay, well, we know that it was a bread, but what's, I'm very grateful that he took the time to give us some sort of record as to what it looked like and what it tasted like, because so many who would come after him would never know what manna was other than it was provided. So Moses tries to give them a a written record of God's faithfulness to pass on to future generation. But God goes a step further than that. Even though God had been very strict on how manna and how long it would keep and what to do with it, uh, for this particular instance, God gives this, this one jar that would last that they would gather and they would put in in the place of worship. Eventually, this would go in the ark so that everywhere the people of God went, this represented the presence of God, and within the ark would be this jar of manna that never rotted and it never got worms and it never went bad, and it was to represent God's faithfulness at this place and time. You see, God teaches us, but he also wants to help us remember his faithfulness. how he continues to provide for his people, even in the midst of the most impossible circumstances. In a season like we've experienced here that that has been isolating for so many, perhaps it's created opportunity for greater self-sufficiency. I know that if you were to look at our spending, we've become far more dependent on Places like Amazon and ClickList and different things and technologies to provide for us. And so, in some ways, this season has created a greater self-dependency and a greater independence from the world and others uh, to go and borrow a cup of sugar these days. Not that we would have done that anyway in this day and age. seems more difficult and more challenging in this day and age. Um, I 
I believe that this is a great season of testing for God's church. We think about our vision and our mission and, and ask the question, do we believe that that's on hold in, until we get permission to go back out and, and be in each other's physical presence without mask or, or, or break the six-foot barrier or we all get vaccinated? Like, what are we to do? How are we continuing to be faithful members and faithful people of God, even in the midst of these challenging circumstances that would lead us probably quicker to self-dependency and self-sufficiency. As God's cherished bride, striving to be all that God has called us to be, even if it isn't easy or expected from us, let's consider this text this morning and how we can continue to live out our vision of becoming family. What does that look like? How do we pursue family? How do we demonstrate and proclaim the gospel of God's grace to one another in a time like this? How do we demonstrate the gospel of God's grace to our town in this season and in our world amidst these circumstances? How are we a light? Many of our flock, if we were to ask, we've, uh, many of us have been blessed in a way that if we were to ask, hey, do you need anything? Many of us would say, no, we're good. We get our groceries, and we've got this, and we've got systems and, 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 and provisions in a lot of ways uh, for many of us. But then I might ask the question, what might others need of you? If God has blessed you in a way that you are richly provided for and all that you need, then how might others in a season like this need you? may not necessarily be physical. It may not be monetary. It may be an encouraging word or a note. It may just be a phone call or, or, or dropping something off on the door or just a call to pray for them or inter, intercede for them. How would God call us to continue to be the people of God? Believing that he is going before us in this season. Obeying and keeping these boundaries and remembering his faithfulness. How would God call us to apply this? I want to get practical for a second. A group of pastors that I'm a part of here in Jonesboro have been talking about and, and praying for a, a, a time here and have put some materials together um, that we would seek the Lord's faith and or, or face for the entire month of February praying together. And I want to invite anyone who would want to be a part of that. We've got some materials uh, that we've put together and, and the ideas that we would even pray for our community by name. And so we've looked at a way for us to, within the materials, pray for people by name within our community that you wouldn't know necessarily, but as a way that churches could come together and saturate the city with prayer. If you'd like to join us in this, then you can reach out. That's one very practical way, and we can get you the materials and the guide, but it'll go for the entire month of February. Bar mentioned this group in the morning. If you found getting up and finding routines of how to worship and how to get with the Lord, I just wanted to spend four weeks and say, hey, I'll get up early with you, and we can talk through this, men, women, couples, uh, whoever might want to join, so that we can talk through and, and, and set rhythms to remember God's faithfulness and to seek the Lord where he may be found to continue to be faithful in a season like this. 
We want to be super, super tangible or tangible and practical for ways that you can connect. We've got these small groups that are starting back up. Some are starting tonight. If you haven't found one to get a part of, this is a way for, I know at least for us, this is a way for us to increase what family means during this time and, and how to love each other and serve each other well and look to be in each other's presence over this season. I want to, I want to encourage you, if you're a member or a regular tender here, to look at those options and look as this year continues to go forward and how you can connect with the people of God, serve alongside of them, continue to be faithful to all that God has called us to be, both in this church, but also in our town, our community, and in the world. God has not stopped growing his people because of COVID. God has not ceased to continue his mission in the midst of political unrest. All of these circumstances, long foreseen and allowed by God, cannot pause the advancement of God's kingdom and his kingdom purposes. I just want to assure us of that this morning as I pray for us. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning, and as we look in on the people of God, we see ourselves. We see our own tendencies to storm the castle, to want to take over in small ways and big ways, but, Father, ways in which we have failed to keep your standard, ways that we have failed to be obedient because of even the most minute of failures in comparison to a holy God, we found ourselves treasonous rebels. So, Father, this morning we repent of our, our heart and our mind our actions that were not in keeping with your standard, that were not obedient as you called us to be. Father, we repent of those actions and those thoughts, whether in word or deed. And we ask that the blood of Christ to come and cover that. Father, we pray that you would renew us, that you would remake us, you would sanctify us in your truth and your word by whatever means drawing us out into difficult circumstances or, or whatever that might look like. Father, we pray that your faithfulness to your peace, people would be continued in this day and age just like it was the people of God then. Teach us to trust you not just with our actions but our hearts as well. Father, in a place and a season where we could be so easily looking to just look to meet our own needs, Father, remind us of the needs of others. Remind us of our need of one another. Unify us amidst division and conflict. Father, grow your church. Heal your church, your bride, your cherished bride. God's and your Holy Son's name we pray these things. Amen.